Welcome to the False Nine podcast. I'm Luke Massey, and in this edition, we are going to continue on from our previous conversation with Paul John Dykes to discuss our documentary adaptation of Celtic Smiler, The Neely Mocken Story. Hi, Paul. How's your day going? It's going well. It's going well, Luke. Um, looking forward to speaking about the documentary, the Neely Mocken documentary. Well, it's getting close now, isn't it? It's December 1st release, and uh, we've just had the proofs back, and uh, um, I think we get them early next week. We get um, uh, the actual DVDs come in. So, it's, oh, yeah, it's pretty exciting now. It's very exciting. It's a long time coming, and now it's time to enjoy that and put it out there, and hopefully the Celtic fans will enjoy it as well. I'm sure they will, Luke. Yeah, well, we've well, it's from the reviews that we've got from the Herald and... Evening Standard and then, you know, the more fan-based ones like um, Celtic Wiki and Celtic Underground and the Shamrock magazine have all been really um, kind to us, which uh, we, we appreciate. Absolutely. I mean, that that's the barometer really is, is the Celtic fans and uh, the reviews you get from the, the fanzines and the online uh, forums, etc., are, are absolute dynamite. So it's uh, very positive so far and hopefully that will continue. And we thought we'd do a reverse of yesterday when I was talking to you about the book uh, and about your process and uh, kind of what inspired you and what you found are, um, the most exciting parts of it. We mm. thought we'd do the same with you asking me about the documentary. Absolutely. I mean, it's something, Luke, that you and I have discussed at length because I'm so interested in the movie-making process. So I'm going to really ask you quite a few questions about that as well as the subject matter as well. But... Yeah, first of all, what would interest me, and I'm sure many other Celtic fans out there, is how you dis- discovered Celtic. What what was the moment that you discovered Celtic and what was it that attracted you to the club? I was planning on writing a book or a play on Bill Shankly and I was researching a period in his life that I think would make a good, uh, a good story. And what I stumbled on was his relationship with Jock Steen. Mm. And I don't know if many people know, it's not really, I think, well known that Bill Shankly had a, a brother called Bob Shankly, who was, who was a great manager in his own right. And um, he was actually in the car accident with Steen, him yeah. and his wife, and they weren't hurt. And, or they weren't hurt badly. And so I kind of found out this, and, I, and then the more I started researching it, the, this relationship between, obviously, Bill Shankly saying, you know, you're immortal... I realised that there was these incidents where they met each other where Celtic had played Liverpool and, and they, they were great friends and he was probably better friends with his brother, Bob. But the more I researched it, the more I found myself re- researching Jock. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of fell in love with Celtic through that way, but I definitely fell in love with an era of Celtic before I fell in love with Celtic. I fell in love with, you know, Sean Fallon, Neely Mocken, um, and all through the first book I read was the Archie McPherson Mm. Uh, bio, which we were, you know, obviously lucky enough to have Archie involved in the doc, and that was the kind of first book that made me fall in love with Celtic. And then going to the games, and mm-hmm. you have to be quite committed because I, I'm like six hours away on a train. Yeah. So and I've seen over, I must have in the last three or four years, I must have been, you know, to a couple of dozen games, and you know, it never disappoints really. It's always, I always find that quite. A different experience to going to uh, a Premiership game, to go mm-hmm. to like Liverpool, because it seems a bit pure in the sense of you can just go on the day, pick up a ticket, you know, go in, especially where 
recently where they've redone the um, Celtic Way that, you know, the couple of times we've done, we've been out, meet outside and then we'd see like young Neely was there and then we saw, we saw an ex-player there as well, didn't we, that we interviewed? We did, and, and we So did. you just kind of, it feels like more of a thing, oh, you, you meet people at the game, you have a talk and uh, we've seen Sullivan at the game, I've been to a game with him. So yeah, that's what kind of, what hooked me in was Celtic's history, really. And then mm-hmm. once I started going to the games, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter and, and I don't miss a game on TV. And, and if I've any, got any free time, I, I go to one. Absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting that you mentioned the, the Liverpool, um, the pool of not just that club, but it's a similar pool that you get at Celtic. Uh, when I was writing the, the book, just to jump back a wee bit, David Proven says they're very similar clubs because they're emotionally driven. Um, I mean, when you think about uh, Liverpool, because that's your first club, what similarities can you see between that club and, and Celtic, Luke? I think it was Kenny Dalglish. I think it's in his biography that he said that he settled so you know well into Liverpool and he still lives in Liverpool because mm-hmm. it's so similar to Glasgow. I think the sense of I mean I've lucky enough to lived in Liverpool for a while and I spent a lot of time in Glasgow, and I think the humour, the um, how football controls the city. I think it was Ronnie Dyer who said when he first came that you can't escape football. Like every pub you go to, Sky Sports is on, and it, and that really is the case. I think in those cities, it's there isn't. Um, a rugby there isn't a cricket it, it's pure football mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's what overtakes and, and because they're small cities I don't think the players can get away from it so if a player goes into town everyone will talk to them about football everyone will talk about the game that's coming up if there's a mm-hmm. derby on it kind of controls everything uh, so yeah I think that's probably the similarities between the two clubs and obviously there's the big Irish you know, at one point in 1920, I think over 50% of Liverpool's population was Irish because of people coming mm-hmm. through. And um, I think, that, you know, that big Irish community has probably got a lot to do with it. Oh, massively. I think there's a kind of shared uh, mentality between the, the football fans, certainly. Uh, but obviously, both cities share a, a really rich heritage uh, in the arts and in music as well as in football. And I think, you know, you and I have spoken about that and it, you love Liverpool, but you also love coming up to Glasgow. And what I would like to, to ask you is, over the last few years, what, what do you think stands out? What is there a moment at Celtic Park that really stands out for you? What's been your favourite experience? Oh, 100% the Inter Milan game that we I watched with <laughs> you that I thought was... A, um, that was a really magical uh, experience, and, and not just because of the players at the beginning and the Green Brigade with the sign they put up. I think... Mm-hmm. That, for us who loved Celtic's history, it felt really magical to play Inter Milan. And I think when we signed, I've told you about it before, I'm a big football manager fan. And when we signed Armstrong and Mackay Stevens, I was saying to you that I've been signing them for like three years on football <laughs> manager. So when Armstrong, you know, Mackay Stevens played great, but when Armstrong got the double, mm-hmm. he scored two goals, right? Am I remembering? Yeah. That? Yeah. Um, I, Gadetti. Remember uh, yeah, Gadetti. Gadetti. And that was set up by Liam Henderson, who's another guy that I've been you know I talk a lot about I love Liam Henderson and he mm-hmm. came off the bench to set up that uh, that brilliant goal and it was because it's in the last second and it felt like a massive win it was only until I got back to the hotel that I realized that we drew the game I thought because it was just it had the feeling of a huge win and everyone left like it was this big win yeah and, and I was also really happy for Ronnie because I think he was getting quite a lot of stick you know up until then it definitely was I mean I, I always remember that it was again European nights at Celtic Park but just the look on your face when Gadetti <laughs> scored the equaliser um, it was an absolute 
a look of astonishment. But there's a special feeling there, and you know sometimes you can't even describe it to people that haven't felt it. Um, you know, at Celtic Park when you're shoulder to shoulder with your comrades, and that was certainly one of those nights. Um, obviously, we've kind of touched on it a wee bit talking about film, but that that is your your main interest, big interest in film. Could you maybe give us an idea as well of how you got into that industry and into movie making? I got into it. I got into. I'm 31 now, and I got into it when I was 17. I think I did a. I was trained by the BBC, and then I worked at loads of different places. I was trained on camera, and I worked at different places doing editing. And then, um, for a few years ago, I made a, a horror film called mm-hmm. Armistice. It's called The Captive, in England. It's called Armistice in America, and we made this low-budget horror film with an actor called Joseph Morgan, who's in the Vampire Diaries and the originals in America, and Matt Ryan, who's in a TV series called Constantine, where he plays the lead Constantine, and he's also in a TV show called Arrow playing Constantine. And we made this horror film. We were lucky enough for it, you know, to go to festivals like Cannes and Berlin and Toronto, and uh, we sold it. it. Got limited release, theatrical release in America, and it, it did okay. And then we made another film, which is coming out at the beginning of next year, called Five Hundred Miles North. And after that, making films quite a lot of time and energy. And me and uh, one of the producers, who's also an editor for the films, called Mark Kendrick, we decided that we wanted to set up a uh, a documentary company that would also publish books. And we're both huge football fans. So Ben Reed, who's the executive producer and the writer of the films, he kind of came on board. And, th- and that's what we've started to do this year. And our first release as a book is is smiler and, and the same with the documentary and we've we've got two or three planned for next year as well mm-hmm. i mean it sounds exciting it sounds fresh and uh, a, a lot of people will be interested in your transition from a horror movie to a football documentary so that shows uh, kind of like the wide range of interest that you have how difficult has that transition been from making the movie to making a documentary and what's what's the big differences that you've noticed yourself like I think making a film is it's one of those experiences you can't really explain to someone unless they've done it. It feels it's 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 like a marathon of of almost extreme torture in the sense of every day you're doing ridiculous hours, the crew's tired, you're working with actors, you've got a hundred different departments to work with. You know, you've got makeup people that you're talking to, you've got set people, you've got costume, you've got actors, then you have the AD department who are doing all the scheduling, then you have the money people like line producers. So you have what feels like an army of people that you're trying to move into one direction just to kind of each day get enough material in so you can finish the film mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Yeah, uh, yeah. With, with a documentary, it's a lot more enjoyable. It feels, it feels like a lot more like writing a book or right. writing the scripts where you kind of, when we're doing Smiley, you know, you're waking up, going to bed at reasonable hours. You've got a crew who, for the most part, are really interested in football. Um, we're meeting our heroes. Um, we're filming in great places like Hamden. And I think <clears throat> Celtic, and especially filming in Glasgow, like everyone was so supportive. Hamden Park were really supportive of us. The museum there was really supportive. Um, you know, Celtic Supporters Club. And all of the people wanted to come out and talk about Neely. And everyone was so happy to talk about him and had all these great stories. And I think sometimes in film, it, it felt more like that everyone was so focused to get it done, it, it wasn't very enjoyable. It's enjoyable after the fact. Yeah. But while making the documentary, you know, especially me and Mark, we, 
had a great time and we really fell in love with this character that we, you know, well, we're adapting your story, your book, and mm-hmm. but we really fell in love with Neely. No, I can understand that. I, I kind of thought the same when I was writing the book. You know, I had a real affinity with, with this gentleman who I'd never met. And since finishing the book, I feel as though there's something missing now because mm. I'm not reading and writing about uh, Neely Mocken. But I was going to ask again, really, your introduction to Neely, the story of Neely Mocken, if you could maybe explain as well how that came about um, and how, you know, again, magical that story is and how you thought that would adapt to the, the big screen. Well, it was the first time I met young Neely at the launch of Ten Man Won the League, the Stephen Murray book, which I went in with you while we were working on another project when I was up in Glasgow. And you you told me you were writing the book and I think I expressed an interest in us publishing it, but then the more you start talking about it, the more I kind of... I've, I almost felt like the film was like a fly on the wall of, of this great character in Celtic's history who kind of never went away. He was there for all of these great events from as a player to, uh, you know, the trainer and then to the kit man. And I kind of I felt that, that that thing of time is interesting. You know, yeah. if you... If, if you're there for all those big, big, important events, then you've obviously had a lot to do with them. And so I thought that would work well. And it's it's only when you finish watching the film where you look at it and you think, well, this film starts off where he signs um, in, you know, in the 50s, was it 53? 53, 53, yeah. And then you've got to go for another 14 years before we win the European Cup. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on again and again and again, and it goes on, you know, to the early nineties. So I mean, it's an, an incredible achievement of what he did at Celtic, and I don't think enough people know about it. So I think the two things which drove, you know, me and Mark were the story, and this amazing amount of time that he was there with all these great achievements, and the fact of he he is a bit of an unsung hero. I know some of the re- reviews have said, oh, you know, he's not an unsung hero. But I think he kind of is to modern-day Celtic fans, you know. Modern-day Liverpool fans know who Bill Shankly is and they know who Paisley is. And I'm not saying Neely Mock and Shankly or Paisley, but he's an incredibly important figure um, in Celtic's history. And if you look at the new um, outing they've done at Celtic and you see these pictures of, like, Bobby Lennox, Tommy Burns, you know, I'm sure there is a couple of Celtic kids, you know, many of them who probably don't know who, you know, the picture of Neely Mocken is and, uh, and, and everything he achieved. Absolutely. I think that that's what attracts me as well to stories like Neely Mocken because... Um, I, I just remember as a youngster asking my dad about Neely because he was always in a team group look. He was always standing there with his sambas on in the team group. And it was my dad that told me he was an ex-player. And I loved that. The fact that the ex-player became a coach or the manager or part of the backroom team. And that's going back to the bootroom mentality that you and I have discussed about Liverpool. But, you know, that was prevalent at Celtic Park as well. And, and um, you know, it was a fantastic experience um, seeing how that was put together by yourself and the team. What would you say was the high point? Who did you speak to or or we interviewed and, and it just, you know, blew you away? What was the special moment for you? I think a couple of people. When we interviewed John Fallon, I just thought he, you know, he came, you forget he, he's was a Celtic player. He just comes across like a Celtic fan, which he is, you know, massive supporter. I just thought his stories, because we were interviewing someone who had watched Neely play, someone who looked up to Neely, you know. Mm -hmm. Neely was a great hero of his, so it was nice to meet someone 
from that era because uh, it gave you a different view of Neely. A lot of the people, he was either the trainer or the kit man. Um, but, you're, you know, we're talking to someone who kind of looked at him as, you know, he was his big hero. And then the other person was Pat Stanton because I think he talks so well. And he, he talks so much common sense, not just about Neely, but about football in general. And I think he, he gave a lot of, you know, great lines. And my favourite line is, you know, it's like a goal Superman would score when he was talking <laughs> about his Coronation Cup goal, which I just think is brilliant. It was fantastic. And the thing with Pat Stanton, you're absolutely right. Some of the things he was coming away with, you thought to yourself, it was kind of, it's a shame that he's not involved in Scottish football because he's obviously got some really good views on how the game should be played and how it should be run. And we should maybe tap into that with, with Pat Stanton and a few others. Yeah, I um, definitely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It was fantastic seeing these guys wax and lyrical uh, about Neely. But another thing that uh, I maybe didn't mention yesterday is we also had access to the Neely Mocking Collection. Can you tell us a wee bit about that as well, the strip collection? Yeah, well, um, young Neely, Neely's son, um, has got an amazing collection of Celtic kits throughout the years. I mean, you'll be better placed to really say it. He, he what was what was the story that he used to cha- he used to swap a kit with the other kit man when they played? Yeah, they had that European tradition at the end of the game. You know, they would swap a match worn jersey. Um, I mean, even looking through them, Neely and I, there, there's some jerseys that we can't identify. You know, it would have been one of Celtic's European opponents, but there's no crest. Um, it's an incredible collection, and obviously, uh, any football aficionado or people that are into kits and retro stuff would just be absolutely overballed by the collection and, um, you know, just the, the wide range of football strips that are there, not just Celtic, but teams all over Europe. I think there was a number seven Kenny Dalglish jersey in there. Yeah, there was. And that's actually <laughs> something we featured in the DVD. Um, that's actually the, on the DVD extras. We've got Neely's kit bag, which is the kits. We've got his Lisbon line memorabilia, where he's got... You know, obviously the medal, but he's got, you know, not the programme, but he's got the tie from that period and he's got the yeah. whistles of him and Jock from that period. Um, and then there's also his medal collection. And then he's got not just his medals, he's got all these other gifts, like he's got a lighter that he got for getting player, was it biggest goal scorer? And then I think the most bizarre one is he got given a biscuit tin for scoring five goals against St Mirren, which I, I think it's the biscuit tin the medals are in, isn't it? That he keeps everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's ironic. It's ironic because obviously uh, the late 80s and early 90s, Celtic had the biscuit tin yeah. mentality. Yeah. You know? yeah. I thought that because it was a um, Billy... Billy Stark was when he was talking about it. I remember laughing, um, thinking that. But that's um, that's all features on the DVD extras, which uh, which is just you and Neely, which is a great you know half an hour feature altogether. No, it's brilliant. It's Celtic's kind of answer to the Antiques Roadshow. It was really phenomenal to see it, um, and Celtic fans will love that aspect of the documentary. Um, I was going to ask as well, obviously you're not only a movie maker, but you're a massive movie fan as well, Luke. What other documentaries uh, inspired you or influenced you when you moved into the world of making documentaries? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, um, I've only come into documentaries, I suppose, late. You know, um, I love Searching for Sugarman, which is a music documentary mm-hmm. about this great unknown musician. And I suppose there's quite a lot of similarities between him and and Neely from the point of view we were coming at. Um, and there's um, a, a brilliant documentary which won the Oscar, which is called Touching the Void. And mm. the um, director went on, went on to do The Last King of Scotland with James McAvoy. But that's a really harrowing story, but really uplifting. 
um, those two would stick out as uh, most memorable. But then obviously there's um, there's football documentaries. Uh, to be more specific, there's um, the one on the um, New York Cosmos, yeah, which I've forgotten the title of, but that we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And then there's another documentary called The Two Escobars, which is a great documentary about the drug lord and about the football player and their relationship. So those four documentaries, I'd say, were big influences. No, that's that's fantastic. And again, what I learned when I was writing the book was um, that, you know, Neely Mocking was part of every post-war Celtic success uh, other than a, a Scottish Cup win in 51 uh, through the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, when you looked at that story yourself, look, looking at the book and then adapting it into a documentary, what do you think a figure like Neely Mocking means to a club like Celtic? I think it's really important. I think any team that's got history, um, if it's Celtic or Liverpool or Man United, I think these figures to bring through the next uh, the next youth team, you know, like the Quality Street Gang. You know, if you've got someone like Sean Fallon who was doing that, and then the influence you could see when we're interviewing people like Andy Walker and um, Frank McAvenny and Brian McLeod, they just talked with so much affection about if you're getting too big for your boots, he would, you know, he would knock you down a bit. And if you felt like um, you were in a bad place, if you weren't getting games, you know, he'd put his arm around you and, you know, and encourage you to keep on going. And then also yeah. he was a good ear for the manager. So I think those people are invaluable in football. I think in Liverpool, you know, Steve Highway, who was an amazing player, but then he brought through, um, mm-hmm. you know, the likes of um, Stephen Manaman, Bobby Fowler, Michael Owen, you know, Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Carragher. And Liverpool have just re-employed him again. And I think, I think owners are starting to realise how important those figures are now. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, John Clark being back at Celtic, and Danny McGrain, you know, um, who's been a president there for, for many a year. So I think, you know, but for, to have one figure who's there for all of that period, for, for 40 years, 39 years, 40 years, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that's happened, you know, at another club that I can think of. No, you're right. It's a, sp- a very special figure, and uh, hopefully, we'll not only uh, present that to the the old heads, uh, the old Celtic heads that remember them, but you know maybe introduce them to a new crowd of Celtic supporters who are unaware of this guy who was working behind the scenes for so many years. Um, what can Celtic fans expect from the documentary when they, when they buy the DVD? What are they what are they going to um, what are they actually going to experience when they watch this? Well. I think, I mean, it's, you don't want to kind of just be really arrogant and say, like, this is the best Celtic documentary ever. <laughs> um, but I think if one of the reviews said, I can't remember which one it was, that said, if you've, you know, if you know your history of Celtic, then th- this kind of fleshes out some of the bones a bit. You know, there mm-hmm. is something for everyone, I think. But I think if you didn't know anything about Nidhi Mocken or the period that we're talking about, I think, you know, it's, it's incredibly interesting. It was interesting for me to do it. We've got some great archive footage of the games, um, like the 7-1 game when nearly scored two. And we've created some animated footage, completely original for like the Coronation Cup. And uh, obviously we've got, you know, 67. Um, and then we've also got a period which I wasn't that familiar with, which Stephen Sullivan, the author of Sean Fallon book, talks about, is the influence of the Hungary team in the 50s, you know, who, yeah. who beat, um, you know, the game of the century where they beat England, and how influential that team was when Neely was playing in the World Cup with Scotland, which I think was Scotland's first ever World Cup. Um, yeah. And so, Absolutely. and that was like, and that's a really fascinating period because that's the period where, you know, um, 
Steen and Fallon kind of decided that f- to take football a bit more, you know, t- take it in a different direction. Formations mm. were changing um, and they really used that when they created the Lisbon Lions and you could see that in the final, you know, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. how high the fullbacks were pushing it. No, you're right. It was definitely a light bulb moment uh, for Jock Steen and of course uh, he had a, a much better time watching some of the other uh, countries than Scotland because Scotland had a disastrous tournament uh, but it was great to see that old footage you know nearly wearing the old Scotland jersey yeah and he also um, need, there's a bit in it that's in documentary where he nearly scores a goal the keeper mm-hmm. just gets there and you kind of think oh that would have been great you know it just added it would have yeah. just added to this incredible figure in nearly mocking um, I mean when you look at so far what, what you've achieved making films and documentaries again a wide variety from your, your debut through to Smil- uh, Celtic Smiler. What can we expect in the future? What kind of projects and ideas do you have um, for the next few years? Yeah, we've got actually got a couple more Celtic, um, as you know, with you, a couple more Celtic documentaries and books planned. But at the moment, we're really focusing on the release of Smiler because it's a story that deserves to have all of our attention and to really promote it because, I mean, it's an important story in Celtic's history. But once that's done in the new year, we will um, start production and finish production on another documentary that we're doing about Celtic. Apart from that, there's um, something that's really heightened our interest, you know, after the Quality Street Gang, which, you know, the book you wrote, is how we met, was reading that. And me and Mark have... We find youth football really interesting at the moment in terms of grassroots football. And so we've been working on a documentary for a while called Teenage Kicks, which is about players like James Vardy, really, of, um, <laughs> coming through roots and, you know, Ricky Lambert coming through grassroots in a different way. And um, you've got people like um, Robertson, who, who was at Dundee United, who came from Queen's Park and then went to Hull, who's doing really well and playing <laughs> for Scotland. So I think that's quite an interesting... football. I think football's changing now because... There's so much money in it, but people are trying to find talent in different areas, which there weren't before, and that includes managers. You know, you've got managers like Jose Mourinho who never, you know, never kicked a ball to much of a high level. Yeah. So uh, I think that teenage kicks is something that we've been working on. We were at the under 21s European Championship in Prague, so mm-hmm. um, that's something we'll develop over next year as well. No, it's, it's all sounding very positive. Look, and I know for a fact that you know Celtic fans are looking forward to the the Neely documentary. And uh, having had the opportunity to see it, you know, I know that they're going to enjoy it. So that's uh, December the 1st, that's going to be released. And uh, I look thoroughly uh, forward to seeing that in all its glory.